Good morning. It's been a bit of an odd morning. For me, it's been a really bit of an odd morning. I'm sat there and I'm thinking, in a moment, I'm going to have to get up and I'm going to have to say something. And I'm, in my head, there's loads of things going on. And I'm trying to sort of, oh, OK. Um, and, and then all of a sudden, Sarah's up saying, oh, now we're going to move on. So um, yeah, good morning. I hope you've had a good time of worship and gathering together. I hope that. Um, you've heard what God's been saying. I hope that you've heard some of the things that have come out in the prayer, some of the things that have come out in words. I hope you've heard what God is saying. Because that's what we're here for. One of the reasons we're here is so that we have our ears clear and we can hear what God is trying to say to each one of us, individually and collectively. And it's, it's good to gather. We, start, uh, we started uh, this series, well, we've attempted to start the series a couple of times. Um, obviously, the, the first weekend we were going to do the restore reality check uh, was the week uh, when the Queen died. So we felt it appropriate because of what was going on in the nation to say we, we put that to one side for then. And we spent some time reflecting as, uh, as a church about the Queen's life and about this nation. And then... The next time we tried uh, to, to do Restore, God was moving, and that was great. It was really good. It was great to see how God was ministering to people. Uh, and so there was an extended time of worship that day, and, that, and, so, and we were taking communion at the end of the service, and that's, that's really important, taking the communion together. So it was a bit squeezed, um, that, first, that, that, um, that first Restore section. But I hope you've remembered or retained just a little bit of it. Um, what, I wanted, what I do want to say about the restore bit, um, I asked a question, or I, I repeated a question to you that somebody had said to me about the vision of this church. And they were talking to me and saying about how they got the vision of this church of being a refuge center, a um, reprocessing factory and a, a collection, a community of hope carriers. And this, this guy was saying to me how he got that and how he understood that and he thought it was a good, good vision to stand on. But he asked the question about the, re, uh, about the uh, refuge, city of refuge, and he asked, is that hope, this congregation here, is that the people of this church or is it Basingstoke? And it is a really good question to be challenged by because that carries weight, I think, that question. Because ultimately, it's not just this here. It's people outside of here. I was outside of here once, and, and now I'm in here. And I benefit from this being a city of refuge. Um, and so if it's good for us here, it is definitely good for those outside. So that's, that was one of the main things uh, out of the restore section that I just want to go back to, in case, in case that's dropped through because of the, the, the speed at which we had to move through things that morning. So, we're now on to renew, and we have 
more time than last time. So we have opportunity to, to look at Renew. Uh, we're going to go to, in just a moment, we're going to go to Nehemiah 2 and read through that, um, that, that chapter. What this is about today really is about vision. And about vision uh, for us and about what happened with Nehemiah. Because before we read Nehemiah 2, thinking about Nehemiah 1, everything that we read in Nehemiah 1 prepares the ground for what follows in Nehemiah 2. Now it was said this morning, Linda said this morning, that God opens up the way. He makes the way. And that is very much true what happens here. Because there are four months time takes place between the beginning of Nehemiah 1 and the close of Nehemiah 1, beginning of chapter 2. Four months have taken place. It's not people came and spoke to him and he was immediately affected by their news of Jerusalem and then he went straight into the king's presence and got permission to go. It's not, there's four months that take place. So when he's saying he's fasting and praying for many days, he means he's fasting and praying for many days. And he is aligning his heart with God's heart for the city of Jerusalem, for the people of Judah. So let's, let's read chapter two. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, my king, uh, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city and place of my father's tombs lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favour in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asphas, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me, according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had set captains, uh, sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. 
When Sanballat, uh, San uh, the horror knights, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and that was there for three days. Then I arose in the night and I and a few men with me, I had told no one of what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except of the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and to the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which had been burned with fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up by the night uh, to the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I, I had gone or what I had done. I had not told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials or others who did, who did the work. Then I said to them, see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may, um, that we may no longer be in a, a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which, was, which had been good upon me and also the king's words that had been spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then we set our hands to this good work. But Sambalat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it. They laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, his servants will arise and build but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Right. The wonderful thing about that is how Nehemiah sees the hand of God upon him. Those four months, that time that he spent seeking God, prepares the ground for what is now happening. To go into the presence of the king and for the king to ask him what, uh, why, why should he be so sad is the opportunity. It's the opportunity for him to speak. And so he's, he's afraid of what will happen. So he, asks, he tells him, this is why I'm unhappy. And then the king says, well, what do you want me to do? And he says, I'll take it. I want to go to, uh, to Jerusalem. I want to go to Judah. I want to rebuild the city. Now, have you ever watched any of those episodes of Grand Designs? It's a good program, isn't it? I really enjoy that program. I love to see what people's vision is for their home and the purpose for their home and what they want it to do and how they want it to function for them. And it, the, the presenter, Kevin um, McClatt, thank you. It's a great sense of humour really good sense of humour 
And he comes along and he talks to people and he gets to know them and he says, so, uh, you know, so this is what you're going to be doing. How long do you think it's going to take? And they say something woefully short. And they say, oh, a few weeks maybe. And he says, oh, I think maybe a few years. And this is how the banter goes. And then he says, how are you going to pay for this? What's your estimate on, you know, what it will cost? And they say, oh, it's going to be uh, 500,000. And he says, well, more like a million, I would have thought. And so he's, and they go over like this. And then he gets to the big question. And he says, who's project managing this? And normally they say, well, I am. Or she is. Uh, and we're going to do it. You know. And he says, have you, have you any building experience? And they say, no. And he says, well, good luck with that. And you can see what's going to happen. This is a similar thing. This man has such a heart now for what God has laid on his heart. He's going to project manage building the walls of a city. He has never built anything in his life. But because of what God is doing, because of what God has laid on his heart, the vision that he's given him and the doors that he's opened for him, this is now possible. He, when he gets to Jerusalem, he doesn't share with anybody what he's going to do and why he's there. But he goes and has a look. He reviews. He sees what the reality is of the city. And then he starts to tell those that are closest to him, this is what we're going to do. And the response is incredible because they say, well, let's do that. That's great. That's sharing a vision with others and them taking responsibility for it. Now, here we are in Basingstoke. What's your heart for the people of Basingstoke? What's my heart for these people? Because it's a similar situation. God's heart hasn't changed. Remember what we said way back uh, at the beginning of the series. God does not abandon people. There's a purpose. And there's a purpose for us here, for me, for you. There's a purpose in the salvation that you've been given. Now, we as a church, and the church in general, can really get things slightly out of step with what maybe is important to God. I don't know whether any of you uh, are Formula One fans. Oh dear. This is, no, I'm sorry. Oh, my, my whole view of this room has changed. For, maybe, maybe I can convert you to uh, you know, the wonderful sport that Formula One is. Formula One. <coughs> Formula One. Formula One is a team sport. It's very much a team sport. Formula One has lots of things happening in it. It's not just about the person in the car, although they play a big part. It's not just about them. They have a whole team of people behind them working on strategy, working on timing. They're taking uh, data from other teams and what they're doing, and they're processing things, and they're making decisions. On the spot, they're making decisions. Now, I've heard it said that the most stressful time for a Formula One driver during a race is the pit stop. Because all of a sudden, you've got to understand that in Formula One, time is not the same as it is 
the rest of the time. A second is a long time in Formula One. Really long time. So you think a driver's coming in off the track and all you can think about is everybody else is moving at an incredible rate and I'm slowing down. And they come in, they have to restrict their speed to I think it's about 70 miles an hour in the pit line, but you think, my goodness me. Well, it's something like that anyway. And then they pull into their pit stop and then they're at the mercy of those that are with them. And they're hoping that they're gonna do their job as quickly as possible. Now you think one, two, three seconds is a long time for a Formula One car to be stood still. And then they come out of the pit and they go again. If there's been no issues, they rejoin the race. And if, if their team has performed really well, they would have predicted where they will come back out again and join the race. And there'd be a plan and hopefully it will work out. Now when they're in the pits, they're having their wheels changed, they may be having alterations made to wings, they may have to replace something on the car. But the driver can do nothing. All he can do is keep an eye on when he's gonna be released. And, and that's what it comes down to. Now, the pit stop is everything in the race. Because without the pit stop, the car and the driver won't finish the race. It's crucial. Absolutely crucial. Now, going back to the church, have I converted anybody, by the way, sir? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just watch the little highlights of the pit stops. <clears throat> the church. See, the thing is with us, Sometimes the church can have the attitude that what we're doing today is the main event. This is it. This is what it's all about. Gathering together. The main event for what we're here for. Now, I want to explain something. Don't get me wrong. This is crucial. This is really important. Everything that's taking place here today and any other Sunday, I'm all in favour of. It's great. From the moment you enter the building and you're welcomed to the moment you've had your coffee and you're going. The bit in between is, is really, really important. How you're welcomed is important. And it's great when you see people are welcomed in and that they're chatted to. If they're a visitor, that they have, you know, somebody show them to somewhere to sit, maybe introduce them to someone, it's great. Um, the children's work, fantastic. Not a babysitting service going on downstairs. They're, they're being taught, they're having games and they're being, uh, Bible stories are being uh, taught with them and they're being shown how to interact as a community together. And the same with the youth. Um, although I think the youth do more breakfast than anything, don't they? But, um, but yeah, it's the same with the youth. You know, they're here and it's good. The time of worship that we have, regardless of whether it's one person playing a piano or a guitar or whether it's a full band, the worship is good because we're worshipping together and there's something really building in that, really encouraging in that. And then whatever teaching, speaking, words, uh, testimonies that are shared, these are all for your benefit, for my benefit. These are all for us to be built up. But it's not the main event. It isn't the main event. The main event is 
Monday through Saturday and how we're living outside. You know, the main event is like Linda and what she said about working with the, the boy. Uh, that's the main event. How, how she operates in that is the main event. Sarah said about her daughter, heartbreaking, really heartbreaking situation. And yet, that's the main event, trying to, to, to engage with her in that. Our main event is Monday to Saturday. This, everybody, is the pit stop. This is the pit stop. This is where we all come in and we support, we work as a team. We realise then, oh, it's not just me going around doing lap after lap on my own. There's a whole team of us here. There's a whole body of us here. And the funny thing is, if we don't come, if we don't have the pit stop, I don't know. Will I make it to the end of the race? I don't know. I probably will make it to the end of the race much better having had pit stops and regular stops on a regular basis. Every time we meet together in a small group, in a church meeting, in a prayer meeting, as triplets uh, or triangle meetings, one-on-one, uh, -on -one, every time we do that, we are fueling one another. We are equipping one another. We are standing with one another. And we are building together. So this is the pit stop. I want to show you this. Because remember, we're talking about vision. This is an old document. This is a really old document. This, this is a really old document. This is five years old. <laughs> I mean, Formula One terms, that's really old. <laughs> right. That was written by a group of leaders. And they weren't a group of leaders of this church. They were a group of leaders of... Town Centre. Town Centre. Yeah, this is Town Centre. Town Centre, for those of you that don't know, we're, we're part of a family of churches uh, called BCCs. And there was a north, there was an east, there was a south, there was a west, there was a town centre, and there was a Tadley. We don't talk to Tadley. <laughs> but back then, five years ago, we weren't going to be town centre for much longer because this is in July when this is written, but we were approaching September, and September we were going to change our name. We planned it for a long time. We were going to change our name to something that we felt was more appropriate. And we changed our name to Hope. Now, this is bold because once you've done that, you're really declaring something about yourself. And now you can be held accountable to how much of a people of hope are we. But in July, we had a leaders' meeting, and we had a few bits to do that evening. It was the last core team meeting that we had before the summer. 
So this was an opportunity, looking forward to September, to ask everybody a question. And the question was, if hope is a church, what does it look like? Now, the people in the room didn't know we were going to do this. So it was them caught on, on the hop. So here we are. We took half an hour and people put down what they thought it should be or what they wanted it to be. Now, the important thing about the time is this. Whatever I've got in my heart for this church, surely it's got to be there all the time. It's got to be there in my thoughts, my thinking, how I, how I think about this place, how I think about you. It's important to have that because that's your vision for this church. So, <clears throat> we had a whole array of things. Now, some of these things may sound quite obvious to you and other things may not. And if you had been in the room, this would look different. But we had things like Hope would have uh, a, thank you, a, a culture of expectation, uh, a hub of different activities, kids, youth and elderly. Anybody between the age of about 30 and 50, sorry, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a community together, Holy Spirit-led, place for all, freedom for people, safe, attractive to the unchurch, a place that's alive, a place of restoration, should have reinforced foundations for growth, where people want to be, a place for all, family fill, fun, laughter, joy, expecting to communicate with God, offers hope to the hopeless, where you are, where you are sorry, and then worship in spirit and in truth, inclusive, positively effective, uh, positively affecting the community around us, Fathers, mothers, role models. A place, uh, a place to laugh and cry. Inspirational leadership. Christ at the centre. A church that reflects Isaiah 58. And there's a few more, but the one right at the bottom. A place where we move forwards in what God has for us. Now these are all from the people that were involved in the leadership team that day. These are all the things that were on their heart. Now, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if we had that kind of alignment with God's heart so that we could really see those things happening? And they are happening, but we want them to continue to happen. I'm going to read from Isaiah 58, as that's the only scripture on there. Going to read from <clears throat> verse 6 onwards. Now, in Isaiah 58, God is talking to Israel, and they're, they're doing, maybe they're doing the main thing, and it's their worship, and yet they're missing his heart for what he really wants from them. And so he starts to talk to them about fasting and true fasting. And he says to them this from verse 6 Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, 
and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring uh, to your house sorry, the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that are, you cover them and you hide yourself from your, uh, and do not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and, what, uh, and he will say, Hear I am. Do you think we could even begin to be a church that reflects this? You know, I'd like us to. I'd like, I'd like us to. I'd like me to look at myself and say, how, how can I help that become a reality here at Hope, here in Basingstoke? To undo the heavy burdens, to, to loose the bonds of wickedness and to let the oppressed go free. To share your bread with the hungry, that you would bring to your house the poor who are cast out. You know, maybe, maybe these things are, maybe these things are going to, we're going to see more opportunity to do these things because of the kind of country that we are at the moment, the kind of world that we are at the moment. How alive is my heart to this? Because if this is on God's heart, how aligned is mine with God's? When you see the naked to cover them and, uh, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then, let, then your light, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Uh, your light, break, God's light break forth through this people like the morning as regular as the morning, as clear as day. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. In our wake, God would be glorified. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Now, like I say, if you had been there, that would look different. And I keep this because it means something to me. I keep this and I look at it occasionally and I remember that evening when we were town centre looking into the future and becoming hope. And you know, you think there's a job to be done still. There's a job still to be done. Now I'm going to ask you, because you weren't in the room or some of you weren't in the room, I'm going to ask you to do something yourselves. You see, there's another wall over here. Now, I don't, I don't mind whether you've got anything on your heart this morning. This is all by surprise. But here's, here's another wall. But it's the same question, and now it's your opportunity. If you have anything that is burning on your heart, anything that you go to in your prayer for this church, anything that you see uh, as a weakness in this church, and you think, well, something's got to be done about that. Write it on here. Okay. Your vision for hope. Now, there's some markers up here. 
help yourself. If you've got anything you want to write on there, please do. Any, during the tea and coffee time, now, whenever, write on it what you see this church as needing to be. I'm pretty much done. So, <clears throat> I'm going to pray and then hand back. Father, your heart is enormous. Your heart is so uh, for people. You are looking at us in, our, in a real state, Lord. You look at us and you see through the veneers of our lives and you know the real person inside. You know the needs and the desires, you know the fears, you know the shortages in our lives and where we're broken. And you, Lord, are the only one that can bring about the healing that is necessary. I am so glad, Lord, that we don't stand alone. I am so glad, Lord, that we stand as a body of believers, not just here in Hope and not just across Basingstoke, but across the world. But Lord, your, your heart does not change towards us. You want to see the oppressed set free. You want to see deliverance for, from bondages in people's lives. You want to see healing for people. You want people to come alive in your spirit. Father, may those things on, on that wall, may, may those things continue to be, uh, become true. Lord, may we continue to seek you and ask you to, to help us because we all play a part here. Just like in Nehemiah where he shares his vision, they say, let us do this, let us build the walls. Father, we pray that, uh, I pray that our hearts would be open to you and we would be serious about aligning ourselves with your heart and your desires. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.